Hi, and welcome to Transit Unplugged, the world's number one transit executive podcast. I'm your host this week, Tris Hussey, on a special tech-focused edition, where we're talking about transit technology and transit technology trends. My first guest is Daniel Sadi, Director of IT Architecture at Trapeze, and someone who knows a lot about computer and cybersecurity. Daniel, thank you for being a guest today on Transit Unplugged. Thank you, Tris. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. This is this is a, a topic that I, I've dabbled in the last 20 some odd years of being in computers and stuff. And, but I have really three things I want to talk about is like is kind of like the scope and the scale of the problem and what's going on and then what agencies can do about these. So let's the first thing. Is it just me or does it seem like public transit agencies have become real targets of cyber attacks lately. I mean, Vancouver had one a couple of years ago, and it seems like every few weeks we we see another agency uh, the victim of one kind of attack or another. Yeah, and that's that's a good question. Like, they, they've always been valuable public resources, right? So the, the people who are after perpetuating these kind of attacks are really looking at anything they deem as high-value targets, right? You look at what like what transiency represents and what they deal with. They deal with primarily like people, right? And that that information is incredibly valuable to people who want that information, right? It's often said the industry that you know customer information and personal information is like as as valuable as oil or other commodities, right? So people are looking for that information, and they will, you know, go after any resource that they think. Uh, it, may, it may be available in whether that be you know private industries, public sector, anything that they can think they they can potentially attack and get at to get that data, they'll go after um, for a variety of reasons, right? So like the severity, I think the severity goes more so with how quickly information spreads these days, right? So these days, there's actual real legislative teeth. Um, in, in many areas of the world to say, you know, if this occurs, you're legally obligated to disclose this. And as such, like back in the day, there may not have been that, that, that kind of onus to say, I, I need to own this problem legally, or I may be financially or, or otherwise liable, right? So like, I think the attacks are probably have always been this persistent, but the visibility is probably there's a lot more, right? You, you think about like just in general violent crimes, right? You know, the quote unquote back in the day, they didn't happen as often, but statistically it's shown that they have. It's just the how information travels today is much quicker. So you hear about the worse more than all the successes. And like there's been like significant strides in the industry of how to protect against this. Cause this is not specific to any kind of agency, like every single company on earth, no matter who you are, faces this, you know, we see big companies that are exposed to this on a regular routine basis and they are still fighting against it every single day. And it's, it's, it's a concern, but it's also kind of exhilarating in the same way um, because there's a challenge out there and we need to meet it no matter who you are. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there, there's a couple of things I want to delve on. The last, I'm going to go start with your last point. I was listening to some one of the tech podcasts that I would consume, and there was a ad for one of one of umpteen many cybersecurity things, and they were talking about, you know, cyber criminals only have to get it right once. You, as the company, you got to protect against it all the time. I mean, you know, different modes of attack and vectors, it, it's it's not just a simple, 
simple thing anymore. It's really complex. It's a hard, yeah. hard thing to hard thing to protect against. Yeah, and the reality is there is no one single model that works for everyone, right? You think about the most effective physical security implementations, right? They're usually multi-layered. You have your perimeter and you have checkpoints along the way. Information security is the same way, right? So it goes down to a lot of it, you know, the technology, yes, but also the people and the practices and the protocols, right? So like when something occurs, do your staff have the knowledge to say, you know, you know, I picked up this USB on the on the in the in the parking lot. Should I plug it to my desktop? Like, no. And that's something that, you know, a totally person off the street may do, right? Yeah. Um, that's so why it works. Yeah, that's why it works, right? They realize, like, similar to breaking into cars, they realize that cars are hard to break into, but it's easier to break into a house and steal the keys, right? So they know that because people, you know, if they don't have necessarily the, the outlook or at least the attitude to take that security-first mindset, that it's easier to appeal to the person and then get access that way. So it's 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 comprehensive. You can have the most secure lockdown system in the world. If you have someone in accounting or HR or sales that does this, they found a way in. You can put up all the walls you want. But unless those walls are layered, um, it becomes really hard to add, have be adequate protections. It's you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a game in many ways, but it's an important game to to play. You you touched on earlier the human element of cybersecurity in that sometimes people are the weakest links. So what can agencies do besides the multi-layer approach, the IT things, what are the things that agencies can do to help protect themselves? I guess it's probably just like driving awareness, right? And you do so by by taking a stance that, you know, as an agency or an entity, we're going to take serious, we're going to take security seriously, right? You're going to say that, you know, given all the demands we have, we're going to prioritize some of our time, some of our effort, some of our focus to just addressing issues, right? And just being honest with each other, it's not just comes down to one person. It's kind of a team effort, right? Because no matter, you know, this year especially, you're showing us like, no matter how things are structured, there's going to be unknowns that you just need to address. So by having kind of everyone looking at it and collectively working together towards the same goal, it's much easier to kind of just do a, like a comprehensive response to, you know, you know, threats that may not be realized or threats that are actualized, right? People can get distracted. Uh, people will make legitimate mistakes, right? They won't be thinking about something. They'll just do it reactionary without thinking about it. And, you know, that's that's as much as it takes sometimes. Um, but it's giving them the, the space to kind of sit and breathe and say, you know what? I remember my training, you know, is, is this, is, should I be doing this? You know, uh, if I get, a, if I get an email from supposedly it looks like my boss, right? Have I vetted it? Does this request seem real? Right. Should I action this? It's a lot of those what if things that, that people need to take time and really ask themselves. As, as we, we've learned, you, you and I have both learned in our, in our careers in IT, that it, it is an education. And one of the things when I joined Trapeze, I thought our IT training was really great in that respect. Here, here are the things you need to know. And is, is, do you think agencies are taking that approach, doing more IT security training broadly because, because of the problems? There's probably people within your agency right now that want to do better, right? And they may not feel necessarily empowered to do better. That's why I say, like, if you involve everyone in that process with just improving security, they'll contribute towards, and then you'll have people that are just, like, established champions. So in lieu of, like, an official training process, there's probably people within your organization that could exist anywhere that care about this. 
Because at the end of the day, they care about the riders. They care about the mission statement, right? And they care about their work. There's a sense of professional pride that goes into it as well, right? If you have people that are willing to stand up, like, I care about this, they'll put in the effort. And then they will carry that effort forward. And then they'll inspire people to do the same, right? So it's a lot of that kind of building up that culture and, and supporting that culture, right? For, for an hour or two to sit people down, it's like, hey, this is important. This is why it's important. And as an organization, this is something we believe in. So we want you to believe in it. And then honestly answer questions because most of the time, they'll have feedback to say, you know, here's an instance where I encountered this personally. Um, or here's something that I think that we can improve. And then if you don't know where to start, Ask the people doing the work because they're usually the ones who know best. Give you the final word because this is going to be on a, on a tech segment looking forward to 2022. What do you think is going to be like the top, you know, cyber, you know, security, computer security things next year and coming up in 2022? What do you, what do you think is going to be big for us to be paying attention to? So I think ultimately, and this is probably a global a global change, right? Look at look at how work operates day to day. If you're in an operational mode where you kind of just expected everyone to be in the office every single day, like the last year or I'm going to say two years has been a real wake up call, right? And I got to really give it to the people in operations that you know put in the effort to make all these capabilities available to us. Um, that you know maybe you had these capabilities before, but maybe not. And in a drop of a hat, you know, suddenly the majority of the global workforce can work at home if they're able to, if they happen to be like an office worker, right? And that, that's really incredible. But I think in doing so, we probably made some some uh, some exceptions and probably took on some additional risks, right? So in, in, in facilitating the needs of the business, we may have increased our exposure. Um, it's so I'm looking at next year, I think the biggest risk is really um, common patterns that we may have skipped over just business necessity, but I think it's worth a second look to say, you know, yes, we've granted people all this access externally, but what can people now do with it? I, I agree with you. I think next year is going to be kind of the awakening of like, okay, we got to, we got to tighten things up. We got to make things better, still smooth for work, but let's close a few of the loopholes we may have inadvertently opened just because. Yeah. Fantastic. Daniel, this has been a great conversation and, um, uh, I know that you and I could probably talk about this for a long time. So we, we, I, would agree. I, I will make, I will make <laughs> sure that we, we, uh, we have another chance to talk in the future about, about tech and cybersecurity. Here we, Daniel Sadi is the director of IT architecture. He doesn't build things in the real world. He builds virtual things and we're talking about cybersecurity and just security in general in transit. Welcome back to the second half of the Transit Unplugged Techapalooza, a geek-tastic episode, as I like to say, of tech transit trends for 2022. On our panel, we have Sebastian Vetus, who is the VP of Innovation at Vontas. We have Priyanka Palacholo, who is the Senior Director of New Product Initiatives at Vontas. We have Tyler Borak who's a product director of mobility planning at Trapeze, and Sabrina Blay, who is the product manager for safety at Trapeze. Thank you all for being on the show. Earlier in the show, you've, you've listened to Daniel's talking about cybersecurity and cyber attacks and everything. Sebastian, why don't you kick us off? What's going to be hot in 2022? 
Right. Well, first of all, thanks for uh, having me here. I'm really happy to share some of my thoughts and learn a, few, a bit more from some of the other people on this panel as well. Um, the one thing that I was going to chat about today is electric vehicles, uh, and I, I would, you know, I would, I would say that you know everyone would agree that. Uh, it's been a sustained effort over the years to decarbonize transportation in general. Uh, you know, there's some good success uh, that has been made with uh, reducing emissions so far, but it's not, it's really, uh, you know, it's really the introduction uh, and the continued refinement really, really of electric vehicles uh, that now has the potential to take that decarbonizing to the next level. Um, Bus manufacturers are also able to leverage the latest uh, advancements in EV technology to bring to the market an offer that really meets those high demands for transit. Um, and we're also seeing that the price gap between the traditional diesel and the uh, internal combustion, uh, you know, that internal combustion option and uh, now the electrical vehicle uh, alternative is narrowing. Uh, I would say that, you know, we see more and more agencies that are growing their EV fleets uh, with uh, many big cities uh, throughout North America announcing commitments for a complete conversion to EV within 20 years and some even as soon as 10 years. Um, I'll use a, you know, uh, an example that is close to home here with Toronto for uh, TTC has already been running 60 electric buses on their fleet. Uh, and uh, I was just reading that uh, the agency has actually placed another order for 300 more. So there's a wow. lot more hitting the space for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm hearing this all over as well. Um, we've had, well, like London is is committed to that that shorter time frame. I think they're talking about 2030 to switch yes. over. Um, a recent guest, uh, Mr. Li Ling Wee of Singapore, was talking about how big electric taxis and vehicles and buses are on. And then recently, we I was talking with. Um, Lauren Cochran-Scoville of Proterra about the things agencies need to do for preparing for EVs. I agree. But I think yeah. one of the things that about EVs is that technology to understand the EVs is really evolving and how you integrate that into your agency to understand, oh, this is costing, you know, how much less per per mile or per kilometer to run um, right. How do I get the best rates for my utilities based on when I have vehicles charging? Because they can do variable rate, you know, like if you're charging in the middle of the night. So I think that is yeah. that is absolutely going to be key, key for a key for the whole industry. We're going to hear this over and over absolutely. again. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. And then there's, uh, you know, the way that I like to uh, look at it is you know, we had about what 150 years or so to learn from combustion engines and learn all the uh, quirks and features of what's really still the vast majority of vehicles are on the road today, right? Uh, and then when we hear about like tr transitioning an entire fleet of public serving, you know, public service uh, like you know transit here, uh, you know, within 10 years, that's that's a very aggressive timeline, right? Um, mm. That time is definitely going to uh, fly by really quickly on those commitments. Uh, but I feel that what is different this time where we've, you know, kind of learned about combustion engines for the last 150 years or so, now we really do have the technology that we can rely on to move us through that transition much, much quicker. So uh, it is, the future is bright. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Put it that way. And, you know, this, yeah. 
this segues right into what Priyanka, you told me you were going to talk about, which was like the telematics, the, 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 the buses talk, uh, buses talking to things and how, how those data move around. So what, what, tell me about what your big pick for 2022 is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you for having us on this uh, show. Um, absolutely enjoy the panel here and, um, uh, obviously, uh, Sebastian already led that uh, EV discussion. So talking about IoT and transit, um, yeah. So you know, if you think go to see, there are uh, our statistics show that there are 10 billion IoT devices in use today, and this number will uh, climb up uh, almost three times in uh, 2030, and uh, you know, we may wonder why is it so important? Why is it so powerful? Looking at the sensors that go behind these devices, um, they collect a lot of performance, um, information on the performance, their location, usage. And as we harness all of this data, it would increase, you know, quality of service, improve productivity of workforce, increase reliability in operation, asset productivity, um, and all of this comes behind that maintenance element. Um, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, we, we, will, we will see improved benefits, growth from consumer standpoint and a revenue uptick. But talking about smart transit, um, I see these IoT devices being used from vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication road safety, vehicle-to-infrastructure communication. And when we consume this data with all our big analytics and cloud compute, we can build smarter and uh, uh, better solutions now. And uh, I just wonder how better they'll get in the future. RTC in Vegas, they were talking about their smart that signal control system that mm -hmm. you know is prior, not only prioritizing buses and actually Nashville is doing the same thing, prioritizing buses, but helping traffic flow, just car traffic, and not looking at just one intersection, but look at a ton, you know, a, a sort of a grid, the whole grid of intersections. And then I think this even relates to the IT for PT developments, you know, to standardize more of these IoT devices absolutely. within buses. Yeah, absolutely, and. Just since you said about road safety, right? Um, there are a number of different systems today that give us this information. Waze, for example, GIS, Amber Alerts. But then we have to build all this infrastructure behind to talk or get data from that system. That means a lot of data, right, on their usage, uh, decisions that then they can make on almost in real, near real-time scenarios. Our systems becomes much more smarter with, uh, you know, having those devices. Coming to uh, more of uh, the maintenance side of things, yeah, we are doing a lot of um, cloud-based predictive maintenance, um, which are targeted for each and individual uh, build of vehicle. Uh, these systems are designed for our bus maintenance teams to provide the most accurate data uh, about multiple systems on these buses. Uh, so our hardware on these buses are continuously collecting data from the CAN systems. Again, integrated with IT4PT, we could wirelessly talk to these devices. Um, data sent uh, back to the 
back office on real time basis based on severity sister can systems can auto configure to the bus build make model uh, and can be uh, you know and can be set up to trigger alerts for uh, maintenance staff for early warnings trends that when you know when monitored can definitely avoid failures improve asset performance predict um, overall health of the fleet it's right? so mm-hmm. a lot more uh, power uh, once these systems are smart and uh, connected with all the different sensors they are today you guys have just lined, lining these segues up because Priyanka, you're you're talking about this wealth of data that is going to be coming from systems. And Tyler, that's your jam. Data is like where you live and the analyzing data to be to get better performing systems. This is this is where the niche where you live. Data is my jam for sure. I think it's a lot of people's jam. Um, you know, it's it's not a new to 2022 theme. However, um, I think that there's a reason for that. Um, that we're seeing a ton of change come to transit, right? Sebastian mentioned EVs. This is a fundamental shift in how service is delivered to customers. Um, you know, ideally, riders don't really notice except for that the bus is quieter, uh, greener, etc. But operationally for agencies, it's a gigantic change um, requiring a lot of forethought. And going back to Priyanka's um, you know, term that she used that triggered this in my mind, predictability. Um, with all this change, people are going to want to know what's going to happen. If I make a gigantic change to my system, which sites are doing um, at a rate never before seen, right? Uh, reevaluating their entire geometric network, um, something that tends to happen very incrementally, if at all, are now being completely reevaluated and overhauled. And making big changes like that, let alone to how the service is delivered through you know, EVs versus uh, internal combustion engines, uh, let alone using fixed route versus something like microtransit, um, a more demand-based service. A lot of exciting things. However, for any of them to happen and become real, we need to know if they're going to work and how they're going to work in terms of how much ridership do we expect to get? What kind of on-time performance can I expect out of these changes? What kind of access am I providing? What's changing? What can I expect to see happen out of these results? Because if we're going to fundamentally make a big change to how we're providing service, we need to make sure that we're still meeting our goals. And I, that's the whole point. Otherwise, what are we changing for? Um, so it's super exciting that we can use data to answer a lot of these questions proactively. Um, and then, of course, evaluate our, the results and see if we were far off and then you know, narrow in to make sure that we can make better future predictions. But ultimately, if we're talking about completely overhauling our fleet, um, we need to make sure that we can do it and on what timescale and then be able to talk about what that means in terms of how much carbon are we reducing in terms of our uh, emittance? Are we improving the quality of life in neighborhoods next to bus stops because the bus is no longer loud? huge, like there's all kinds of secondary effects and beyond that we can actually quantify and capture um, and report on. And traditionally, that's been an entire job into itself. Finding, like predicting how much ridership am I going to get? I don't want to say it sounds easy, but it's a pretty straightforward question until you have to do it and do an analysis on it. Um, then it you know becomes a much 
bigger thing. However, we've got lots of data that can actually help us tell that story relatively quickly. And because there's some commonality around the types of problems transit agencies are trying to solve, we can definitely utilize um, not just the data, but also specific tools uh, to answer those questions quickly and most importantly, accurately. And Tyler, you touched on something when you were talking about emissions that I think ties into some of the tangentially to what Sabrina, your 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 space is safety. And when I think one of the places that you know safety is really key is in the yard. Sabrina, you're you've been seeing this change sea change in how we people are viewing safety at agencies. So tell us about that perspective. Yeah, I think um one of the big things that I see is that agencies are trying to be a lot more, they're trying to be a lot more methodical about how they assess risk. Like in the past, maybe something like, are the emissions from buses a risk to our employees' health? Like is something that they might not have recognized or categorized. Um, but now with the push from the FTA in the United States uh, for agencies to be gathering feedback from their employees, from riders, you know, employees who are in the yard all day and who experience like crazy amounts of, of uh, emissions of various sorts, you know, they can actually flag that and bring it to the attention of someone who might be sitting in an office and, and not be exposed to it all day and not realize how big of a risk it is. What I'm seeing more than anything is agencies who are, um, embracing technology as a way of helping to solve their their big problems. Uh, maybe in the past, there was a lot of spreadsheeting. <laughs> there was a lot of doing things on, on paper forms and, you know, filling it out, bringing it back to the office, handing it to someone or maybe transcribing it somewhere. Uh, there's big gaps in time between when you identified something and when you were able to actually, you know, work on it with things on paper forms everywhere. It was super hard for agencies to to actually have a handle on their data. I think so many agencies are recognizing the power that is in their own data um, and they're looking to leverage that, you know, in all the ways that everybody else talked about. <laughs> data is a big theme, but also in terms of safety, you know, can I like actually measure uh, the things that make a risk risky? Like, you know, there's the standard risk matrix that most agencies use. Uh, there's a there's a bunch of different methods out there, but there's a standard one that most use. But, you know, at the end of the day, it calls for you to make sort of gut feel judgments about how risky a risk is. Um, but, you know, I, in the agencies I'm working with, I'm encouraging them and I'm seeing many of them, you know, come to the table with this plan already where, you know, they want to say, here's how I plan to measure how, how risky this is. You know, my gut feel is it's, it's red. It, the risk is high. Uh, and here's why I think that. Uh, and then figure out ways to actually measure it with the data that, that they can gather from their own agency. Either it's um, leading indicators, things like rule violations. You know, are we seeing people aren't wearing protective gear? Maybe we've identified emissions in the yard. Are people not wearing their masks? Um, or, you know, do you work on a, a rail line? Are you not wearing your reflective vest? Are you, you know, walking around with headphones in so you can't hear things coming at you? Um, you know, rule violations are a big leading indicator that you might have a safety problem. 
um, and then be able to actually measure outcomes. You know, how often is this risk materializing? Or if you don't think you can stop a risk from materializing, can you make it less impactful? Can you make it less likely to actually cause injury? Can you make it, you know, cause less damage? Um, so I'm seeing just a lot of agencies who are, um, you know, coming to the table ready to just embrace tech in a way that they haven't in a long time. You know, this and something that I think all four of you have touched on, and this is the trend that I've been watching and seeing, both from the consumer side of technology, but really in, also in the, the agency professional side, is technology has become more accessible. Tyler, you and I talked about this in terms of GIS. And Sabrina, I know that this is top of mind for you and Priyanka and Sebastian, top of mind for you both as well, is that we're making technology and the use of these data that are so critical for making decisions easier. Because it's one thing to say, we're going to move from paper or from spreadsheets to a cloud-based app. But it's a whole other thing to make that accessible and approachable to people so they are not afraid of doing a what-if analysis. They're not afraid of, of looking at, okay, well, we're going to try to measure these risky these potentially risky activities, these rule violations that Sabrina, you mentioned. But now, oh, it's not so hard for me to go like, wow, okay, uh, we really have to get people to wear their PPE because they're not. That's a big deal. I think this, for me, this is, again, data is a huge trend. It's the accessibility of the tools. To me, is something that I think is going to power all these changes we want to, we want to see agencies make in the next, you know, year plus. From an accessibility standpoint, like, you know, I'm very focused because, you know, that's a thing that I've had a lot of conversations with agencies around the country about mobile access and mobile devices. You know, they don't, you know, they want uh, a person working in the yard to be able to pull out their phone and report something they saw that was unsafe. They want riders to be able to report something, you know, anything that they saw uh, that was unsafe and communicate with them. Um, you know, we see the same sort of trend in the, in the relationship space for transit, where a lot of agencies are looking to connect with their riders and connect with them where they are. And, you know, that really means in today's world, moving into the mobile space, which is where a lot of their consumers are, and being accessible to them on their phones, making it so they can talk to you on their phones, so they can, you know, book transit tickets on their phone, like just make everything so much more accessible uh, than it has been before. And that applies to back office at agencies and that applies to how they want to communicate with, you know, everyone, you know, all their customers, all the writers. Well, I think that's a great last word is really, is really what, what, what we're all talking about is connecting uh, with our, with our communities. We're connecting with the, you know, within an agency who we're working with, uh, and the people we serve, this is this is what it's about. It's connecting, it's communicating, and doing it uh, accessibly and equitably, uh, so that everyone can use transit most effectively. Well, this has been fantastic, and I appreciate all of you taking the time out of your extremely busy schedules to sit and talk about my favorite thing, which is transit technology and, and all things geeky. And I, I hope all of you have a very happy holidays. Likewise, same to Thank you. you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's special tech edition of Transit Unplugged. We covered everything technology related to transit. 
And thanks to my guests, Daniel, Sebastian, Priyanka, Tyler, and Sabrina for making this a fantastic look forward to Transit Tech in 2022. Now, as always, if you have questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.